You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Sometimes Satan is strong because we are spiritually weak. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. And that's why Ephesians 4 says, don't give the devil a foothold. So there's some mystery in regard to spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's not our fault. We have nothing to do with it. It's just this mysterious warfare going on in the sovereign plan and timing and will of God. But other times we can give Satan a foothold. Other times we could have won the battle if we'd have been more spiritually prepared. Spiritual warfare is full of mystery and is hard for believers to understand. Satan can attack your faith and prayers in an effort to divide you from God. Yet the Holy Spirit within believers is strong and mighty and accessible to you at any moment. Today, Pastor Danny explains how spiritual attack can happen because of spiritual weakness on your part. It may have nothing to do with the enemy's strength, but more to do with your failure to stay strong in faith and rely on the Holy Spirit. Live by faith, no matter what your circumstances. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 9, as he begins his message, A Parent's Need to Grow in Faith. So Mark chapter nine, one of the best pastors and leaders conferences workshops I ever have been to for me was not too long ago and a fellow named Alistair Begg did the workshop. I don't know if that name means anything to you. Uh, Great Bible teacher. And uh, it was on preparing sermons. And even this late in life, uh, I need help. And I went to that. And one of the things he said, I took away as a nugget. And he said something like this, the text will tell you what to say. You just have to determine how to say it. And so there are two challenges if you're a Bible student, especially if you teach and preach in any way, any form or fashion. And that is discovering what the text has to say. Now, some people don't approach it that way. They find out what they want to say, and they find a text to say what they want to say. Wrong way to approach the Bible. Find out what the text is saying. And that's labor intensive if you're worth your salt. And then once you find out what the text says, then, Lord, help me how to say this. And more than ever, I've tried to do that with this text. We begin in verse 14, Mark chapter 9, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. That's important. 
Important part of the story. And Jesus' response to this father's valid complaint, here's what he says. Oh, unbelieving generation. Now, no matter how, what angle you look at it from, that's frustration. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming in the mouth. Now, my take on that is when the spirit sees Jesus, he's thinking, maybe I don't have much longer with this guy. And so here's this one final vicious attack. That's my take. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, which tells us he's not a child anymore. We don't know how old. Is he 20, 25, 30, 35? We don't know. But he's not a child anymore. But it's been this way from childhood. It's been this way for years. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. Jesus says to the Father, Everything is possible for him who believes. And that's a challenging verse because if you don't take it out of the context of Scripture, it's if I just have more faith, I can get whatever I want. It's not what he's saying. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, you can't get more honest than this. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Can I get a witness? <laughs> when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Good question here. Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, I don't know what Bible you have, but in my Bible, at the bottom of the page, related to verse 29, he replied, this can come, only out, come out only by prayer. I have a little note. Some manuscripts, prayer and fasting. Okay, that's because there were more. There was more than one manuscript that our translations were translated from. Okay, only one original Hebrew, Greek, etc. But the translations, there was more than one manuscript they used, and so some of the manuscripts used. Uh, they said, "Well, this one says prayer and fasting. This one says just prayer." Now, I'm going to give you my opinion. My opinion is, in regard to what God has to say to us in this text, it really doesn't matter whether your Bible says prayer or prayer and fasting. Why? Because the implication to me is, I'll come back to that. It's not because I'm old and I forgot it. I'll come back to it. Mount of Transfiguration, Peter wants to build three houses. Just stay there. Who wouldn't? Forget the wife, forget the kids, forget everything back down in the valley. 
I mean, if I had time, I'd go around and say, what's the most glorious experience you can remember? Some would say Cancun years ago. Um, For me, Beaver Creek. I wish I was still there in some ways, humanly speaking. But, you know, the glorious experience is over. Who wouldn't want to just live in the glorious experience? But the reason they came down is because there's a valley full of need. One right in our text, the father and his son. Luke tells us this is his only child. That magnifies the situation. We could talk about demon possession, but I don't think that's the main subject of the text. And so it may disappoint you, but I'm not going to delve into the demon possession issue. This kind can come out only by prayer or prayer and fasting. Either one. Uh, Here's what I put in my notes. Either way, the implication is that these disciples could have cast the demon out had they been more prayed up, spiritually mature, or spiritually prepared. Now, I don't know how else you can take that. How come we couldn't do it? This kind comes out only by prayer. You weren't prepared, whatever. Now, what we're not told are the details of the argument that's going on when Jesus, Peter, James, and John come back down from the Mount of Transfiguration. But that's what our text says. When they came down, they saw the other disciples, they're arguing with the teachers of the law. And the context of the argument, the context of the argument is over the nine apostles still down in the valley seeking to minister, failing to help this father and his son. And here we can speculate a little bit, not try to distort the word, But what did the argument go like? I don't know. But did the teachers of the law say, see there, you guys have no power? And did they say back and say, I had nothing to do with us. His father doesn't have enough faith. I don't know what happened and what it was like, but that's the context of the argument. Their failure to help this father and his son. And I just noted spiritual warfare can be mysterious. For example... You go to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's given a prophetic word by the Lord about a future war uh, in the end times. Uh, Daniel is troubled. He He doesn't understand, and so he prays. He partially fasts, has no choice food, and so he's praying and fasting, and the Lord sends an angel in response to his prayer. Uh, Daniel is so amazed by the angel, he faints. So majestic, this angel, or fantastic. Majestic, that's the Lord. But uh, a hand touched me, verse 10, set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. Stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. From the very moment he prayed, God heard him. And I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. That's someone, an angel, fallen angel, serving Satan. Three weeks. This spiritual warfare is going on that you can't see with the naked eye. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, a high-ranking angel serving the Lord, he came to help me because I was detained there. With the king of Persia. Isn't that fascinating? And yet mysterious. Because part of you goes, wait a minute, how come God didn't send Michael right away? And you start to wonder, well, maybe Michael was busy somewhere else. You know, they can only be in one place at one time. I don't know, but it's mysterious. Then you go to places like 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 2 and verse 17. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, verse 17. Brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, then and again and again. But Satan stopped us. No explanation, no detail given, just a simple statement. Satan stopped us. We're talking about the likes of the Apostle Paul. I hand wrote, it is not always God's will that Satan gains an advantage in our lives. Sometimes Satan is strong because we are spiritually weak. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. And that's why Ephesians 4 says, don't give the devil a foothold. So there's some mystery in regard to spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's not our fault. We have nothing to do with it. It's just this mysterious warfare going on in the sovereign plan and timing and will of God. But other times we can give Satan a foothold. Other times we could have won the battle if we'd have been more spiritually prepared. You with me? You're nodding. So you get that. So I got that, and I had my notes, what I thought completed. And I was starting to breathe that sigh of relief, like, I've done the work, I got what the text says, and, and I had my notes. And what I want to give you in a very brief amount of time before I move on is the summary of the notes that I had completed and yet never felt satisfied with, never felt like it's done. That, that's what I want you to say. Now, I think these are some great points from the text, um, but it's not where I ended up landing. Practical reminders about faith. And, I, and again, these are a very brief summary, all right? Um, faith is progressive. Jesus in the boat, asleep. Don't you care that we drown? Jesus up on the mountain looking at the disciples, praying. They don't see him. He sees them. Uh, Peter coming out of the boat, walking on water in the midst of the storm. Progression of faith. If you got saved a year ago, God doesn't expect you to act like a 10-year-old Christian. No more than a parent should expect their one-year-old to act like a 10-year-old. Now, we do have 10-year-olds that act like one-year-olds. I get that. That's a subject for another time. But uh, faith is progressive. Faith is also a gift. All right? I was going to elaborate more on this, but again, that's not where God had me land. Uh, faith is also an act of the will. So it's a gift, but it's also an act of the will. You can resist faith. God wants to give you faith. You say, I, 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 no, I don't want. You resist it. And then last, faith is not a means of getting whatever we ask for. That's why you can't take verse 23 out of context. Everything is possible for him who believes. There's some in the church that say, if I just had more faith, I'd get the Mercedes. You know, not, that's not the way it works in the context of Scripture. Nevertheless, if our faith is weak, what we could have had, you know, we could have had what God wanted in the will of God, but we didn't because our faith was weak. Okay, you got that. And then uh, I was going here, essentials for increased faith. And some of these are for very clear in scripture, prayer, right from our text. This kind comes out only by prayer. Uh, the word of God, uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. I mean, all this is good stuff. And life experiences, Deuteronomy, God led them in the wilderness wandering. He caused them to hunger and to thirst. Why? To teach them that man does not live on bread alone. You summarize that whole thing. And, and again, all of scripture in the context, well, here's what God's trying to teach people. Live by faith. No matter what your circumstances. 
no matter if you see God, feel him, you know, whatever, it, you trust him. And you can trust him. But in the circumstances, sometimes you go, I don't know if I can trust God. And God's going, you can trust me. He wants to teach you, teach us that he can, he can be trusted. So there it is. So I completed my notes and, and I'm just feeling this tugging. I, I take it from the Holy Spirit like you're not done yet. I get desperate uh, after I read the text again and uh, nothing really kind of glaring. And so I go online and I listen to Alistair Begg on this text. And I thought there's going to be something I can steal. I, I mean, some, something I can borrow. <laughs> borrow. I mean, Alistair Begg, surely he got something to say I can borrow. And a 45-minute great message, you know, by Alistair Begg. But it was like, it was a good message, Alistair, but sorry. I wanted to call him up. If I had a cell phone, I would have said, thanks for the message, but it didn't help me at all. (laughs) And so as I continued to labor, and it was a labor of love, here's what God gave me. When the church fails you, don't give up on Jesus. This father does not come to just any of Jesus' disciples. He comes to nine apostles. Folks, you can't get higher up in the leadership of the church than these guys. I mean, even in the context of where I live and all the people that have become part of our family here, and you want to have lunch with me or you want to get together with me or you want counseling from me, they've come to the apostles, the apostles. His father and his, come brings his son to the apostles and they can't help him. I mean, what did it look like? Did they lay hands on the guy? In the name of Jesus. We aren't told those details. But whatever they did, whatever the prayer, whatever the attempt, it didn't work. So Jesus comes down, the father voices in front of everybody. I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. And Jesus' response was frustration. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And you have to ask the question, who's he frustrated with? The nine apostles? The father? Let me tell you my opinion. All of the above plus, he's frustrated with a world that he's come to as a human being Every time he turns around, even people he's privately tutored. And he says again and again, Peter's sinking. Why did you doubt? In the storm, he woken up. Don't you care that we drown? Where's your faith? After he calms the storm and stops the waves. Why? Where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? Just again and again and again, Matthew. Chapter 6, the whole context, look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. Solomon was arrayed more than them. And they do not, listen, God, if you close the grass of the field and the lilies that way, don't you know you're much more valuable? Look at the birds. They don't store away in barns. You ever seen a bird pulling out something from an ATM? (laughs) They don't have bank accounts. They trust God, their creator. And right in the middle of that, right in the middle of that, Matthew 6, here's what it says. Oh, you of little faith. And and I go, yeah, that's me. And when the church fails you, don't give up on Jesus. Because listen, the church is a very, very, very imperfect entity. The church fails the church. 
God's people fails God's people. A lot of the print in this holy inspired book is about God's people who failed one another and the schisms and the divisions and the assumptions, wrong assumptions. And ultimately, our hope is not in the church. It's in Jesus. Thank God we're not marrying one another. We're marrying Jesus. And we get married to him. He's going to perfect his bride. And that'll solve all our problems with one another. The only perfect forever relationship we'll have with the church is when we're married to Jesus. The second thing God gave me. God's sometimes frustrated with a world of unbelief, even among his own people. <laughs> I got so many scriptures, and they, you can get them online. I don't have time to give you all of them. But one of the ones I just, every time I read it, I can't help but laugh. And uh, it's Exodus. Uh, after, after Moses graduates from God's seminary, God's seminary, not man's seminary. There's a lot of people graduating from man's seminary. And you know what happens? They get puffed up with pride. They got a whole lot of knowledge, but they got no humility. And some of them know no humility and no faith. They got man's way of doing it, and they got a lot of book learning, and they got nothing to help them. I'm speaking generally, but that is generally true. Exodus chapter 3, I don't have time to read all the scripture here, but five excuses Moses gives. Now, he's the most humble man at this point on the face of the earth, 40 years on the backside of the desert working for his father-in-law, and now God says, now you're ready for me to use you, to be a, a deliverer in my hands for my people Israel. And Moses makes five excuses. And the last one, you can't help but chuckle. Here's what he says. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. But what I want you to get is not the five excuses. It's the very next verse after the fifth excuse. And here, let me read it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. This is not just frustration. This is righteous indignation because Moses has no faith. Who shall I say send me? You tell them I am who I am. Well, what if they don't believe me? Well, I'll be with you. I'll show you my power. I'll have my power through you. And one excuse after another. And finally, God gets fed up and says, he's angry. But it's not man's anger. It's God. It's righteous indignation. Frustrated and angry because Moses has no faith. Now, I need to say this before the third point. I'll just read it. God's frustration is not because of some personal ego he has, but because our lack of faith hinders our spiritual growth. And not just that. It prevents him from blessing us. And not just that. It prevents him from using us to bless others. Abraham, through you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham went outside, he looked at the stars, and he believed God. And God counted it to him as righteousness. And his belief allowed him to be the recipient, he and his wife, of a miracle child, type of Jesus Christ, that through Christ all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And through his faith, the nations have been blessed. Number three, when you sense God's frustration with your unbelief. Now, I could have said this a lot of different ways. When it's revealed to you, when you know about it, whatever, thank him for his love and patience and ask him to increase your faith. You ever stop and marvel at the love of God for the world and his patience? 
with not just the world, but even his own people. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of the book of Mark, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, Jesus showed himself as a servant throughout his life here on earth. He was a prime example of what we should strive for as we live our days to the best of our ability. Most times, serving comes at a cost or a sacrifice for those you're serving, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus exemplified this with his sacrifice on the cross, serving us in the most ultimate life-altering way. We trust that this gives you hope, perseverance, and an ambition to serve those around you in a way that reflects Jesus to others. If you want to hear this teaching in the Book of Mark again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading program, also under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and learning more on The Living Word.